Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPod11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Broke down the offensive side of the football and or the defensive side of the football and, um, you know, what that may look like for the Jets going into 2024. We talked a little Bryce Off, talked a little Ashton Davis, Jordan Whitehead. Not, not as much on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it's quite as interesting as the offensive side of the football. And um, Arjun Menon, PFF analyst, is, uh, he did intern with the Jets as well. We're not going to get too much into that, but... Um, Arjun, A, how we doing? Are you surviving the Michigan cold? And B, um, I'm glad you got the Jets hat on. That uh, that excites me. <laughs> yeah, no, excited to be here, Will. Um, yeah, and uh, just trying to get through this last couple days of Michigan cold. Uh, thankfully, you know, the days that we have football on kind of just takes my mind off things. And and yeah, uh, you know, I, I know it's not fun for the Jets, a team I worked for and a team I now root for, uh, to be in the offseason already. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's still a fun period to talk about what they could and can and can't do. And uh, it's excited to dive more into, I guess, my article that we that I put up. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess let's just start with the kind of the season as a whole. Um, obviously, things did not go according to plan from a million different perspectives, injuries, performance, honestly. Um, you know, obviously some guys, you know, the sauce gardeners of the world, the Jermaine Johnson's taking a step, Bryce Huss, kind of the names we all talk about, but I guess outside of just Rogers dying four plays in and basically the hopes and dreams, I guess, of the season, what was your kind of takeaway, I guess, from the season before we kind of dive into, you know, uh, going forward? Yeah, I think, um, well, the injuries, it's not an excuse, but injuries, I think played a big part. I think you brought up, uh, performance, which I think is, is big, a lot of the moves that were made last March just didn't end up working out. I mean, Alan Lazard not even being able to get on the field by the end of the year. You have Irvin Charles and Jason Brownlee, you know, getting active starts or not starts, but just active uh, games when Lazard is inactive. I think that all adds up. And, you know, you you also make moves like you signed Billy Turner, who can't even get in the game over Max Mitchell. And I think those moves just add up. And I think for what it's worth, the, the Jets have drafted very well. I mean, you still got Joe Tipman in the second round, who seems like he's going to be a, a long-term starter in this league. But when you make those moves and you, and you kind of allocate a good number of resources to those players where you could have allocated those resources to other players at the same price, and they don't end up producing at that level, it's just a recipe for disaster. And I think what we saw is, especially at the running back and receiver positions, and maybe just skill positions in general in offense, it was one guy at each position that no one else produced. You had Garrett, and then no one else. You had Breeze, who was a stud, especially towards the end of the year, 
all of his backups really didn't do anything. And then Conklin, I think, had a pretty strong year. And then, you know, no one else. I, I, I mean, Uzama got hurt, so can't really blame him for that. But Rucker maybe didn't take the step forward, I was hoping, especially coming out of camp. And then, yeah, the offensive line was just a tragedy with how many different combinations there were. So I think all of that just really added up and, and made it a tough season. Yeah, look, I think we we talk a lot about in the NFL. It's it's obviously personnel. It's a lot of luck because at the end of the day, like one score games fluctuate a lot. That's why, you know, people don't like to, you know, every year there's one or two teams that sneak in the playoffs at 10, 11 wins that the next year end up winning six games. We saw it in Minnesota, probably see it again with Pittsburgh next year, but or maybe not because of Tomlin, but it's also coaching. And I, I felt like at times, I felt like the defensive side of the ball, the Jets are really well coached, generally speaking, offensively, it was a struggle. And I, I think, you know, the problem is, is like, if you can't script plays well and you're not good at adjusting in game, it makes it really difficult. And then obviously, Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle and, and Trevor Simeon are who they are. You know, you mentioned performance and Alan Lazard's one that you look at, you look at a car loss, and there was just some moves by the Jets last offseason, either pushing money into the future. They didn't have to. I felt like with the Rodgers restructure, they, they didn't really need to push Carl Lawson's money into next year. Uh, yeah. Corey Davis, obviously, they get the money back, but that was a that was a miss. And then, you know, Dalvin Cook. Um, I'm a little confused as to why it took so long to move on, uh, just because so much of his contract was game bonuses. It was like, I think, $330,000 a game. Um, on top of it was like roster bonuses. So um, I guess it's just weird, right? Doesn't it feel like the Jets yeah. have hit either 10 out of 10s with Sauce, uh, Garrett, Brees, even Jermaine's obviously been good, or Bryce Hoff, Quincy Williams. But then it's like a lot of one out of 10s <laughs> with yeah. some of these moves, right? I, I just, it's very confusing, I feel like. It's like such a hit or miss uh, you know, type of game of free agency in the draft specifically. Yeah, I think with with Dalvin, um, yeah, the decision to move on probably took too long. And I think like pretty early on, we saw just how much more explosive and how much more efficient Brees was to this. Dalvin didn't want to get hit. That's what it was the problem. Yeah. You could see. And they used him as like a short yards back, which. I... Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't I don't really know if he has that breakaway speed. He I was like looking this up on PFF. He's like the only running back with over 60 carries, I think, that doesn't have a 15 yard rush. And like. <laughs> Part of that is blocking, and yeah, the Jets have so many offensive line combos, but he's the only one that doesn't have a 15-yard Literally rush. the only guy in the NFL. Literally yeah. the only one. So that is, that's a negative, and I, I think that any, you know, touch he got just was a was a big negative to them, and I mean, I the, I don't know what the Ravens are doing, really, putting him on the active roster. Yeah, I was... Experience. I was like... I, don't know. Was, I think, I mean, he's from Florida, I'm pretty sure, so it could be like a Lamar thing, but... But yeah, I think just in general, we saw that Brees needed a real number two. I, I was hoping coming out of training camp that Izzy could be that guy, especially with the whole Michael Carter and um, uh, Bam Knight. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Izzy starting on the IR was was tough. And so you're kind of forcing Dalvin into that role. And I mean, yeah, you paid him five, you know 5.8 mil with incentives up to seven, and he just didn't even produce like a maybe veteran minimum back <laughs> yeah no look i i know obviously we'll kind of look forward here into you know the, the jets offense we you kind of outlined a lot of their i guess issues i i think the one thing that's weird with the jets is as bad as things were quote unquote right i still don't think they're that far away from being a really good team obviously it's very much hinged upon aaron Rodgers being good like I don't think he can be the 18th best quarterback in the NFL. But yeah, maybe they can make the playoffs next year and win 10 games and be the Steelers. Um, that's not the goal. 
but they do definitely need at least one, if not two bodies at receiver. And I'm not talking like, you know, no offense to Irv Charles, but like, I, I don't think they need two more. Irv like they need a legit two or one mm-hmm. B they probably need two starters at a minimum offensive line. And then, um, QB two and running back two are very much like also, unfortunately positions in need for the jets. Um, uh, I guess, where would you rank their like biggest needs or, um, you know, if you were, you put your Joe Douglas hat on, like, where, where are you attacking first when it comes to, I guess, free agency? Cause obviously whatever you don't get in free agency, you have to attack in the draft as well. Yeah. So number one is offensive line and it's, I don't even think it's close. It, it probably starts with tackle since Dwayne Mackay and Billy are all free agents. And I, I really don't see a path for any of them like coming back after their performances. So yeah, starting off there, and it's also going to be because like we don't know what Rogers' mobility is going to be like coming back. In the past, like say this season happened and he was fully healthy, I would have said receiver because I think like you know I think he is the type of quarterback to mitigate a bad offensive line. But coming off an Achilles injuries, you want to keep him upright as much as possible, and so. I think offensive line is number one. Start with the outside, start with the tackles. You have Tipman on the interior, and then, you know, you can always find a a day two guard or something. So, yeah, fixing the offensive line is the biggest priority. And then finding a running mate for Garrett is is the second one. Um, You know, I I don't think you can trust Lazard at that point. Like, I don't know how much of his performance is tied to Rodgers being on the field, but, like, I mean, the drops were there. And even when he was catching the ball, it it would seem like the ball would, like, move around in his hands. And so you can't do that. And and like with Rodgers, like this wasn't a year where Zach was like turning the ball over. Like his turnover worthy play rate by PFF wasn't even in like the top uh, 20, if that, you know, surprises people. This offense just couldn't move the ball. You just need Rodgers to move the ball. And I think like, you know, I, I think Rodgers can do that if he has an offensive line. And I think he can elevate receivers if they decide to go with the offensive line route rather than skill positions. Yeah, like I, I think... Um, you know, Joe Caparos and Connor Rogers have talked about this a little on Badlands for, for people who listen to that as well. But, you know, first day of free agency, get back up quarterback situated. The, the guys are going to be there. Do not sit on your hands. I do think they need a draft developmental day three quarterback, whether it's like, you know, a Jordan Travis and Joe Milton, somebody that's just like super high upside, has no intention of playing football for the next two years. And like they're probably designated as an IR candidate. Like Jordan Travis mm-hmm. probably isn't playing football this year. But yeah. you take Jordan Travis in the fourth or fifth round, you hope that, hey, we saw a lot of good stuff. He sits behind Rodgers and a veteran for two years. Maybe he looks really good in camp next year and he, he's the backup, whatever it may be. Um, it's Brissett, it's Minshew, whoever it's going to be. Take care of that. Get that out of the, the way because you hope Rodgers plays 17. He has been durable throughout his career. But again, yeah. you don't get you don't get healthier as you get older. Um, running back, I think, is something – look, I've seen a lot of Aaron Jones stuff. I don't know what the Packers are going to end up doing. I'm not sure the Jets want to fish right back in in the veteran, the veteran, almost 30 year old, you know, NFC North running back. But at least Jones is a guy that like catches the ball. Well, you mentioned it there. Can you address at least one starter in free agency if you do the line, then you get your other one. And, um, and lastly, Devante cannot go on for longer than like a week when we get into March. If you're going to try to trade for him, you try it. But if it's not working, it can't be a Rogers thing where it's like, oh, we'll get it done by June. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's, what if T Higgins hits the market? What if a Michael Pittman, I don't think Pittman will and Evans, there's no shot like Evans is getting a free agency. People can let that one go, but you can't sit around. Um, there's some weird stuff with Calvin Ridley with like, they sign him to a deal. They owe it two. if they don't resign him, they owe a three. It's very, very confusing there. Um, we referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, 
obviously the article out, you've, you've done this the last couple of years, um, you know, kind of off season resources. Do you kind of walk, you know, everyone through that and kind of where the jets are at? Um, they have cap space if they restructure a bunch of people, but, um, yeah. obviously there's a little work to be done. Yeah. So going into every off season, I like to put together like an overall off season composite score, basically, um, basically consisting of three factors. So one is draft capital, which is, which is weighted the most because I believe draft capital is more valuable than cap space because getting, having the ability to get good players on cheap deals is the ultimate, uh, it should be the ultimate goal for every franchise. So having draft capital allows you to do that. Second, second biggest factor is cap space, which or just more effective cap space, which is cap space after you account for filling out your roster and signing your projected rookie class. Um, and then finally, I have a factor for proratable money or restructurable money, which is basically how much, you know, if you can convert up to 80% of a uh, of veteran players roster bonus and or uh, P5 base salary in the next coming year and then prorate it over the length of the deal or create void years to do that. What does that look like? Now that's weighted the least just because you don't want to be really want to be in a position where you have to do that. But it, you know, it, I don't want to penalize teams like the saints or maybe the dolphins too much for, for having the ability to do that. So those are the three factors uh, regarding the Jets specifically, they're not, you know, in a great spot. So in terms of where they are, they have a, 29th percentile like overall composite score and none of the three factors that I listed there like above the 42nd percentile in any of them so they're kind of below average everywhere um which you know I guess that is to be expected with when you have a veteran contract a veteran quarterback contract and yeah they have the means to uh you know restructure let me see restructure up to like maybe 80 million dollars in cap space but again, like you have to find the players to be able to do that. And what veteran players do the Jets have that like you feel confident about that? Like, oh, they're going to stay healthy. And if I give them all this guaranteed money, they're going to return, give me a good performance in return. So I think those are questions I think the front office needs to still answer. Yeah, look, there's a there's a couple of things you mentioned there. The restructure of the Jets is, I think, going to be a really interesting. Like last year they did it because they had to take on Rodgers, obviously the huge bonus. Yeah. It, made sen- it made sense. What was unfortunate is, they restructured some guys that in hindsight, they're now going to have to pay for. And I think that's a, a big reason why, you know, from a score perspective, you mentioned, I think in, in there on the 40, they're not any higher in the 42nd percentile. A CJ Uzama, a Carl Lawson, um, they had a lot of void years with Dwayne Brown. Those are some moves that those guys like didn't really play at all this year and, you know, weren't good when they were playing and then they mm-hmm. just didn't play at all. Um, and you're not going to have to pay for that, you know, kind of going forward. They, Gabe Braxton Barrio, they, you know, Braxton Barrios is a bunch of dead money that I think it's only a couple million bucks. But again, that stuff adds up when you're a roster, you know, that needs, you know, kind of every, uh, everybody out of the apple. Michael Carter is going to account for a little bit of dead money, I believe, next year. The guys that I'm very interested in are the JFM, DJ Reed, guys like that, that very easy restructures. Quinn's an easy restructure. Who cares, right? Like he's got yeah. a huge salary. You can convert that and, you know, he's going to be an awesome player. Reed's Reed's probably the most interesting guy, I think, on the Jets that no one's really talked about. He probably could easily extend him, and you'd feel really good about it. You could also probably trade DJ Reed and still be really good defense and use that second-round pick or whatever you may get for an offensive lineman, a receiver, and be like, wow, this is we're in a good spot here. I guess what would you kind of do with uh what would you kind of do with DJ Reed? Because again, he's a guy, fan favorite, really good contract by the Jets, but Again, 
you're gonna have to eventually pay sauce. Do you want to extend Reed and Michael Porter and then have to extend sauce? You got to be a little careful with resource allocation here. Yeah, with so yeah, DJ Reed, also one of my favorite players on the team. I mean, personality wise and just production. I mean, he's amazing. Um, I think the problem with Reed is now you're getting into a cornerback who's going to be on his third deal. And typically this is the time we see cornerbacks. Yeah. This is the breaking point, unfortunately. Yeah. And it has nothing to do really with just like how good of, you know, no, it does have to do with how good of a football player they are. Part of playing cornerback is you're an athlete. You're a very athletic guy. Reed for, despite being like five ten, I think he's able to match up with bigger receivers at times maybe that physicality isn't there as much the speed uh isn't there as much i think at times we saw him get beat down the sideline by some speedy receivers um but he's still a you know i think a very good corner i wouldn't necessarily extend him i would let this current contract play out i wouldn't cut him either just because i think what you have with sauce and dj is you know the best duo in the league and then you add carter and that's the best trio i think i'd save the money if you're trying to extend reed i would try to extend michael carter and I mean, you're going to have to save up money for sauce as well. I think slot corners, you know, maybe they aren't as valued as maybe they should be, but like they, they do play a valuable position and the Jets are mainly a nickel team. And, you know, I guess Carter will come off if Sherwood comes on, but I would, I would prioritize the Carter extension if, if that is the case rather than Reed, who's going to be on his third contract. And, you know, at times I think we saw him kind of lose that athleticism uh, against speedier receivers. Yeah, I'm, I just think Carter is a guy that, like, again, he's probably going to cost you seven or eight million bucks. Reed on a third mm-hmm. contract is going to say, dude, I made 15 million a year when I wasn't uh, kind of as renowned and played as well as, you know, I have the last two years. Like, I want $20 million a year. And it's just like, can you really afford to do that? I've talked a lot about Bryce off on this podcast. Bryce, Bryce, a big fan of the podcast. He's been on a bunch of times. So obviously, I've had, I got to, got to stand my guy. But, they're in a really weird spot with Bryce. You know, obviously you've sunk a ton of capital. Again, this is very similar to Reed, but this is even more of a, a difficult situation because JFM's a guy who I feel like at this point you would have hoped that you would Clemens was good enough or one of these guys that could be like, all right, we'll get a cheaper option. JFM, great mm-hmm. player, but can we move off of him? I don't think they have the capability to do that. First of all, Michael Clemens is the same age as JFM, which <laughs> <laughs> taking day three, 25 year old edge rushers is always an interesting choice. Um, but more importantly, Will McDonald showed some nice flashes, and it's not beating up on Will McDonald. He's, I don't know what anyone's really expecting this year. Bryce Huff's got, by every advanced analytic, and now not just analytic, by like the traditional stats of sacks and things like that, he's one of the best edge rushers in football. He's 25 years old. He's a homegrown guy. Like, yeah, it's a pretty tough look to be like, hey, we developed you. Go be someone else's Shaq Barrett. Like, that's. That's my biggest fear here is this happened. We've seen this, you know, video, this, this story play out before. What would you do if you're the Jets with Bryce Huff? Obviously, as you mentioned, you know, by every PFF metric, this dude is yeah. special. No, he's a, he's a great player for sure. I, it's tough. I would, I would make a big push to resign him. I think there is a limit though. He's still from, for the most part, a, a very elite pass rusher but that is what he is. He's a pass rusher. He's not really an edge rusher. Um, and and that's no slight on him. That could just be how the Jets use him. Um, obviously, when uh, Carl was injured at the start of the year, Jermaine kind of took on Carl's role, which was expected. And so Bryce maybe didn't have a chance to develop into that three-down role. But 
without seeing him in that, I don't think you can pay him like one. So there are limits to what I think he's worth. And yeah, Will was drafted, I guess, to be the Bryce Huff replacement, but I don't think he showed you enough to where you can trust him in that role because, I mean, Jermaine's a fine pass rusher. I wouldn't say he's great. I think Bryce really... Uh, I think Bryce really carries the load on in, in terms of the edge rushing room uh, at getting after the passer. So yeah, try to get him for a reasonable deal. Obviously his price shot up. I, the best opportunity you would have had is last year or last off season or during training camp when maybe Carl Chalasson could have been traded to whatever team that was looking to trade for an edge rusher. Um, and then you would have had the money for Bryce and, and I think that would have worked out better, but you know, now the price is higher, you're probably gonna have to pay up a little bit more. So yeah, make a push for him, you know, know your limit though. And if you, if, if he does walk, you're going to get probably a third round comp pick and you have someone you drafted specifically for this waiting in the wings and you, you better hope. I mean, I think coach white cotton is a pretty good coach. So I think he'd be able to develop him. And we, we've seen year one to year two developments like Jermaine. So I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think being super down on Will McDonald is, is something we should be right now. Yeah. You mentioned, I was going to ask you, Jermaine's a very interesting player. I think almost the the hype's gotten a little a little too high, almost in my opinion. Like he's a really good run defender. He's a yeah. solid pass rusher. He's a big time effort guy. He's a good, really good. He's a really good player. Like there's no yeah. not, it's no slight towards him. If you look at a lot of the win rates, you watch a lot of the film on him. It's a lot of like Bryce or Quinn beating someone really badly, and Jermaine, really powerful dude. Like he's got some really beautiful pass rush reps, but like a lot of them are. He's there. He's 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 getting his way, but he's definitely not usually the first guy there. It's a lot of cleanup stuff. Um, again, it's mm -hmm. no slight towards him. He's in year two. Like he's gonna only get better. I'm just saying, it, the the Jets edge rush group is really interesting. Like they're all really good, but they don't win as quite as much as you like as a whole. They win. Like they kind of are like a. Then it's hard to explain. I I just think no, like, I, I get what you're Bryce saying. Bryce and Quinn usually win right away, and then everybody else is a really good like really good at pursuing the ball and things like that. Um, yeah. Last couple of questions here. Obviously, we're going to see Zach Wilson traded at some point. Who do you think takes a shot on him? What's he even worth at this point? Obviously, whoever's going to be taking him on got a five and a half million dollar salary, I believe, this year. Um, cap hits up around eleven million. Obviously, if he gets traded, the Jets are going to eat a bunch of that. I've said Arizona for a while. I just feel like kind of a similar play style to Kyler, mm -hmm. and yeah. like nobody really gives a shit about the Cardinals uh, from a national perspective. Not to their fault, but. I just feel like Zach needs to get as far away as humanly possible from like any pressure environment and cold weather. And just, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, another play, I love the Arizona one that that's one that came to mind. If, if we're staying on the topic of far, far away, you know, I think the Rams could make a lot of sense, especially if Mike LaFleur is still there. Now I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to speak on what Mike LaFleur's uh, view is on Zach or what he felt about him. Yeah, we can I, leave, we'll leave that for another, uh, we'll leave that yeah, for another we'll leave, we'll leave, we'll let people kind of hypothesize about that. But I, just, I think the way we saw the Rams kind of rebuild their offense, I think like if a change was needed in season and Safford went down for a game or went to the IR for four games, we've seen McVay be able to like tailor his offenses around the quarterback. We saw, we saw Baker Mayfield step into this offense and win a primetime game last year. So I would have faith that McVay would be able to help him. Uh, I think they, you know, I don't think their offensive line is great, but I think it's adequate enough. Uh, they've made moves like Kevin Dotson and, and things like that. And they have two or Puka, I think, is better than Cooper Cup right now. I don't know if you agree with that. But... Yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's like a really sneaky. 
Cooper Cup was like five catches, thirty yards on on uh, on Sunday night. Like, yeah, Luca was like nine for one eighty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but yeah, so I think I think the Rams also make a lot of sense, and I think that would give them time to develop behind Stafford. Yeah, like I think people eventually will come to the realization this is not a Jets problem. Yes, the Jets did not do fully their part, a hundred percent. I'm not gonna sit there and pretend like they did, but I was the biggest Sam Darnold fan. Like coming out of the draft, I loved him at USC, loved him early on with the Jets. Sam is in the most quarterback-friendly system we've probably ever seen and mm-hmm. with the, probably the best offensive coach in football and the best weapons. And like Sam's fine. Sam's a good backup quarterback. He can spot start, but like, you know, like he's not going to suddenly turn in, although he probably is going to win a playoff game. I'm sure Bernie will go down for two quarters and we'll get a Sam Darnold uh, situation. But last two things here, you kind of just mentioned Puka and sometimes I feel like the Jets have – struggled with recently especially in the offensive side of football we've seen the michael carter hits and things like that what do you think in your opinion would be is the key on like these day three receivers guards centers that we keep seeing over and over again the rams obviously kyron williams puka you know we've seen the kobe turners we've seen a lot of these different guys with the rams quick rebuild um you know again with the jets michael carter's been an awesome success story right fifth round pick yeah boom throw him right in there he started since day one the Jets have struggled with that. I feel like especially uh, maybe Izzy becomes that guy and he can buck that trend a little bit, but especially offensive line receiver, I feel like they've even like, where's the Jets Tyler Conklin that they draft, you know, mm-hmm. like not have yeah. to sign him and pay him 9 million bucks a year. Um, what do you think the key is that is with day three, these day three hits and successes we've seen so early on recently in the draft? Yeah, I think I think part of it is uh, taking shots at athletic guys. Like I honestly, the Zach Coons pick I thought was was fun, yeah. and and we just never I, saw. <laughs> yeah, I was I was on board with it, and then I think you know I, I can I can speak on this. Like when I was in when I was watching training camp and I was watching him play, I'm like, oh, okay, like this is yeah, the guy you take no, a shot on. Yeah, you take a shot on, but you understand that like okay, there's uh, there's a higher likelihood it doesn't work out. But I think just like it though with those players, like most of them are gonna play special teams anyway you can you can coach up special teams but the athletic guys the guys who you know who's uh you know uh gps testing and things like that who out who are not off the charts but like in maybe above 80th percentile those are the guys that have the traits to to develop and and you can turn into a viable starter if if they have the talent and i think like sometimes production in the ncaa doesn't matter especially you know if you don't adjust for competition but there are players who I think like their production is something that can translate over. And I, I think, you know, I'm not saying the Jets don't focus on that, but I think at times like those are the guys that end up working out. Like Puka didn't, te- didn't test well, but his uh, like on-field athleticism by like the GPS scores were always really good. Yeah. And look, that's something the Rams have talked a lot about is, Hey, this isn't what we're doing, but like we also pay a lot of attention to how fast are you with pads on? Like how fast are you moving? What do you, what do you move like? Not just, you know, not just classic t-shirts and shorts. Last thing, obviously there's a lot of the, 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 a lot of the PFF stuff with JJ Watt and, and a lot of guys share, share the same opinion. A lot of guys love PFF stuff. It kind of depends on who gets graded well and who doesn't. You kind of just talk a little bit about like a lot of what PFF does outside of like a lot of the advanced data and stuff that mm-hmm. I don't think everyone realizes this. Like every team in the NFL uses PFF's data, like every single one of them. And it's a huge part of pro- like agents use it, players use it, teams use it to pay players. Um, yeah, I'm not saying the grades are right or wrong; they're subjective, and you can like the grades or not. But you just talk a little bit about like the kind of advanced analytics and deep dive stuff and deep stats that is part of the reason 
you know, PFF's not underneath the uh, Sunday Night Football stuff just for the grades. It's a lot about the other stuff as well. Yeah, I, I think people only reference PFF with the grades. I think what makes them special is just the data that they provide. Um, every year, they're, I, I think the goal of the company is to find new ways to innovate and, and come up with new data that teams find useful. And at, at this point, all 32 NFL teams have a PFF subscription. They all use PFF data. Any team with a, you know, it doesn't even have to be robust analytics department, but like an analytics department has integrated PFF data into their daily, weekly, uh, you know, stuff, whether it is opponent scouting, whether it is free agent planning or draft scouting, like it is a big part of what teams do now. And and now like you might like people might say, oh, it doesn't happen. But like even scouts, like people, pro scouts, college scouts, they're using PFF because of how easy it is to reference stats or how easy it is to to watch clips on on players and, and find certain situations because that helps them with opponent scouting that helps them evaluate free agents. And I think people kind of underplay all that just because of the grades. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say the grades are widely used within NFL front offices. I think like there are grades that could be referenced and, you know, it could be used as a baseline and then scouts kind of adjust after that. But yeah, I think the data part and and how you're able to tie in the data to video and and scouting, I think, is something that is underplayed a lot, and and just that's just the nature of the public of what is shown in the public. Yeah, and look, I, if you actually go back, like Steve Palazzolo broke it down pretty easily. Jordan Love had no turnover early plays. C.J. Stroud threw early on in the game in an atrocious throw. He got very lucky it got dropped. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the biggest difference in their grades, and the throws Jordan Love made uh, were deemed higher level throws. Um, yeah. You're obviously a big Justin Herbert guy. Um, <laughs> the, most Jets fans think Tua is not very good. Tua had a nice year. There's no question about it. But a lot of the same concerns. Yeah, he stayed healthy. But all the other concerns I think I've had about Tua and the reason I had, you know, actually had Herbert above Burrow in that draft, which I, I guess is aged okay. Not not as bad as I, I thought I was going to be exposed. What do you do if you're the Dolphins with Tua? We'll finish on this just because, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just – feel like they're kind of same thing keeps happening they start off really strong defenses have to play catch up early on in the year and then once they get locked in gets a little cold weather gets a little tight stadiums get a little more antsy all of a sudden the numbers mm -hmm. have decreased and Tyreek's not getting any younger and everyone's kind of figured out Mike McDaniel's system after about week 10 here yeah I I think the Dolphins are in a tough spot because, I mean, Tua has been productive, but again, the how much of the production is McDaniel versus the receivers versus him. And yeah, when it, when push comes to shove and it's December and it's cold and you have to go up to Buffalo or Kansas City, he's struggled. And I, I mean, I think the biggest, like, it's not even me that has to say anything. I think it's the actions of the Dolphins, the fact that they haven't extended him or they even... They tried to trade to Deshaun Watson nine times. yeah. And the the one year, you know, Jordan, the Jordan Love one year extension. I mean, the Dolphins really could have done that and and said uh, they could have declined the fifth year option and then done this. But like, you know, I think the Jordan Love thing is very unique, to be honest. Um, and we don't really see that. But what was most interesting in that Kansas City game is like in the fourth quarter, the Dolphins are still throwing screens on second and long. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's an indictment of Tua. That's an indictment of what McDaniel thinks his limitations are as a play caller with him. And yeah, he's a fairly accurate guy. I think he is able to play within structure, within rhythm. But like when you have to compare him to some of the top quarterbacks in the AFC, I don't think he stacks up that well. So for what I would think they should do, like 
I don't know. I would let let him play out that fifth year option, and then you're kind of in like a Daniel Jones situation where he's about to hit free agency, and then you evaluate him after that because I don't think he's shown you enough. He's played one full season, and every year it's like, yeah, he's kind of crashing at the end, which it could be for what it could be reasons outside of just him, but I think those kind of trends are too hard to ignore, and I I don't think he's the guy that you can pay Kirk Cousins money. And if they do, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of teams kind of celebrating that, especially in the AFC East. Yeah, look, the we'll, we'll finish with this, but like there's a really, and we talk about it all the time, right? You you pay the elite guys, you have to pay your quarterback. You hope you have a second contract quarterback. That's great. No one's like, the Dolphins didn't miss on Tua. No one's saying he's a bust. You play like a top 10 guy for a majority of the year. There is a like situation now, and we're seeing it more and more. The elite guys have become even more elite, right? Like Mahomes is even more valuable than he's ever been, or Rodgers usually has been, or Burrow, Allen. You could throw Herbert in there, depending on how you feel about him. I think he's very much in that elite class. But um, then you've got this mix of like Lawrence, Dak, or Lamar is in the elite class. But like Lamar, like Tua, Kirk, Dak, Derek Carr, all these guys put up huge numbers, obviously varying levels of this this group. But I don't know, Jalen Hurts too. It's like you now you've paid, you know, Jalen Hurts 50 plus million dollars a year. And Jalen Hurts kind of looked like dog shit for a lot of this year. And you know, he wasn't as good the year before. He had one really nice year and he got paid off it. I don't know. I don't know if I would pay Trevor Lawrence 50 million dollars a year. Like I really I don't I don't know that I would. Um, a lot of these teams will, and it's kind of a stupid, I guess, debate because whatever, but I almost wonder if Bucky Brooks talked a lot about this, I think three years ago. Um it ended up aging poorly because Lamar was really good, but it's like, Hey, a lot of teams just might just go with the model of like get five years out of a guy and then draft, like just keep drafting and, and hoping you can hit. I don't know. What do you like feel like that's that borderline, that class of like quarterbacks eight through 15, the NFL are all kind of like some days they look like MVP guys. Other days you're like, this guy's going to suck. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that is such a great point. And I mean, Eight through fifteen isn't necessarily the purgatory tier because I think like eight through eleven are good enough. Where it's like, yeah, like like you talked about, like these guys look like MVPs. It's like the Dak, yeah, I would put Dak and Jordan Love in that category at this point. Where it's like, yeah, I remember the Jordan Love Raiders game. I mean, I thought this guy was like a bottom. Five. Oh, dude, I was like, I was like, all right, the Jets are gonna end up making the playoffs with Zach and like Rogers come back win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Jordan Love's <laughs> gonna be terrible. This is kind of ideal for the Jets, but he obviously. It's almost like sitting and learning behind Rodgers. By the way, this year weekend, sorry, we can finish this. This week was not an L for Rodgers. You can talk a lot about the Kimmel stuff and whatever. Like, go for it. I'm not getting into that. Jordan Love, like, loves Rodgers. Rodgers has talked openly over and over again how Jordan Love's a really good player. And you kind of can see it. Like, there's a lot of the Rodgers mannerisms, motions, using these different things. So I don't think there was the L people thought that was. That's You can shit on Rodgers a lot. That's not really what I would have I'm not taking a victory lap on that. Yeah. No, I don't I don't know. I I I'm not a big fan of the people who kind of like just hate on Rodgers for the out of football stuff. Like yeah, he's, I know he does some wacky stuff, but like a lot of guys I, do a lot of wacky stuff, like yeah, just ignore it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, going back to that point, the 8 through 15, the purgatory tier, like I think if you have a quarterback on a rookie deal in that tier, you should finish that rookie deal and then maybe reevaluate like okay, like is this a guy we can that it can make that jump up to six through eight or something like that um but if you have a you know a guy that you're paying at least like 35 now probably 40 million to after accounting for inflation 
then yeah, you should probably not, you don't have to invest a first round pick, but like you should take a shot on a high upside quarterback. Like you should maybe draft Will Levis in the second round or, uh, you know, I guess someone like Bo Nix would be the guy this year, JJ McCarthy. Like you shouldn't be complacent with that and, and just understand that like, okay, this guy could be a top, like the guy we draft could be a higher value player. And, and it, even if, even if he's not a higher value player, if he's producing like a QB eight to 15 uh, type quarterback and he, you're paying him uh, like a, a third round pick, that is super valuable. And you'll have two to three years with that guy. So I think it, it just always being uh, uh, cognizant of that is, is something super important for franchises. Yeah. Like it'll be, there's a lot of interesting decisions. Like Dak's probably going to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL in the next two months. And Dak's awesome. Like I'm not saying he hasn't, but playoff stuff's, legit and at some point if you're not going to win with these guys it's hard to pay him 55 60 million dollars a year yeah who do you think ends up coaching uh coaching herbert you think it's going to end up being harbaugh yeah i think at this point it all signs relating to harbaugh um, you're gonna have that's gonna be good for you yeah you're gonna have to be a uh <laughs> a huge advocate of the chargers yeah no it'll, it'll be i think it'll be fine I, I think i'm still kind of interested to see where they go with the oc hire i think you know, there, there's some interesting ties. I think there's some not interesting ties. And I think Harbaugh just traditionally is a run first guy, which you don't necessarily, I don't necessarily want with Herbert. So if he hires like a Greg Roman, not happy. If he hires like a, a guy who's a, oh, let's establish the run to, you know, set up play action type guy. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm all for getting a great ground game. Like I wanted to, that's something I think both of us have never seen yeah. in recent years but we don't need to run the ball like over 50% of the time to do that. So I think that's just things. Yeah. I, you're I, telling me Austin Eckler, uh, Austin Eckler <laughs> didn't, didn't win you over this year. Guy looked like he had a truck on his back. I love Eckler, but um, oof, that, this was, this was not a good year for the running backs that uh, the veteran guys that wanted to get paid again, tough, tough scenes. I, I, the Jets won't do it and they shouldn't do it, but like, I would extend Brees a year early before having to like, he's first of all, he is lucky. He's a second round pick. So he'll be, could be in that Jonathan Taylor, like he'll be a free agency, be a free agent a year earlier. Yeah. But like, I don't know. After this year, I'll talk more about it because it's not really relevant right now. If Brees has a really good year, I'd like to try to extend him early. And that way, like he's not 29 years old, and you're having like a huge dead cap at like if you can next offseason and you can extend Brees at 23 years old, like maybe you get like four more really good years out of him. And when he walks after 28, like, hey, we paid him two contracts. We did exactly what just don't get into the it's a conversation for another day. Well, when, next time we'll have you on, we'll talk more about it. Obviously, mm -hmm. appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you hopping on. Make sure you guys are following Arjun on Twitter. Um, obviously, his work. You're gonna be uh, you're gonna be down in Mobile or at it uh, at an indie or this year again, or uh, or you're not gonna be. Uh, how, how are you gonna you gonna get at some of these stuff or now? Yeah, combine combine is definitely the plan right, right now. Awesome. So come out there for a couple of days. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to link up. Uh, you know, in indie. Appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back. Saturday, first episode on the Badlands feed. Um, have a surprise guest for that. Make sure you guys listen to this episode. Obviously, you know, follow Adrian and uh, and we'll talk to you guys, uh, talk to you guys on Saturday.